0: This is Adrian and James on our Gas Bunny Mentions number 11. And they were basically the ones who got us into business in general with the first networking sources, I think, that you guys helped us a lot with. And um, you started Flint Soup and reached out to us when we were basically just getting into being serious with Gas Money And uh, yeah, if you want to just tell us a little bit more about what Flint Soup is and
1: then uh, maybe the backstory on how everything started, too so yeah so flint soup what we are known for is our our community funded micro grant event we've grown way beyond that we're it's better to describe us as a community of entrepreneurs working together but what flint soup started out as was a a community event and we started out in the back of a restaurant after hours we brought in some pre-selected presenters it almost has a feel like shark tank but not with judges but the community itself is um judging so to speak asking feedback uh, answering questions things like that so um the presenters they we, we come in we have we started out with homemade crop pots of soup and we each put five dollars into a into a soup pot it's kind of the the seed start of a micro grant and these presenters would share what was on their minds? What was on their hearts to bring into their community? Um, it was entrepreneurial. Um, it had impact on the community and was just gonna. We, we wanted to see that it would provide a positive change in in the neighborhoods that they were were living in. Um, gosh, we've had. I think we've hit over two hundred people and two hundred ideas at least coming through the the Flint Soup stage by now. Um, And it could be anything from wanting to start a kale chip company to wanting to have an ice cream social in the community to i'm trying to think some of the top ones um gas money you guys came through and pitched um so many and they're all just kind of leaving my mind i'm sure we can get back to (laughs) and talk about some of the people that have come through and that was it you know five minutes to speak no no PowerPoints, no media, no visuals—just you and a microphone in front of the in front of the community. And we, you know, we were asked questions. It's not unusual for somebody to raise their hand and say, "Hey, like you said, you had this community need. I think I know a guy, or I think I know somebody, or oh wow, yeah, you're trying to raise money for this particular tool, or what? Like, I have one of those, like, sitting in the back of my garage. My wife would love to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Come talk to me after, um, and just kind of grew from there. We would uh, vote at the end of the night, and a hundred percent of those five dollars we brought in at the beginning of the day would uh, would go as a micro grant to the to the to the winner with the most votes. And yeah, uh, it started out very small, maybe a couple hundred dollars. You know, in the early days, it's enough to get a nutritional label, it's enough for a power tool, maybe get your business license, something like that. Um, which is really what the entrepreneurs in our area needed. They just needed. Uh, that little extra hundred dollars to, to get themselves to that next point. So, we've been going for it'll be 11 years this year. 11,
2: mm-hmm. 11
1: years this year. And yeah, so now the, the micro grant it's grown a little bit bigger. I think I don't think we've given away less than a thousand dollars maybe in the last two years, which is, yeah, another kind of a big, significant uh, chunk of money for somebody to get themselves awesome. going with. So
3: yeah, that's really cool. And the thing I liked about Fun Soup is uh, when you guys first reached out, I was like, man, I wonder if that's an acronym. I don't know what Soup stands for. But hearing the backstory, it really shows that community family feel of mm-hmm. just a bunch of community members coming together and supporting local businesses. And usually, when you think of Soup, you think of that uh, family home based feel. And that's cool because. You guys started out with basically like that $5, um, everybody put in $5, like you were saying, and now it's grown to where um, instead of giving a business a couple hundred dollars, you have the ability to give a thousand, maybe even more than that in the future, which is awesome. Um, But this is another thing else that I wanted to get into too, is this is a great idea. It's super empowering. And what really inspired you guys to get into the Flint Soup and actually start the Flint Soup?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that would be me. Yeah, so... It would have to I would have to start back when I was a little kid. So um, it really stems from my family history. My name's Adrian because I was named after Adrian, Michigan, where my family did a ton of work in the state. One of my cousins, her name was Laura Haviland. She was a superintendent uh, in the Underground Railroad, like coordinating efforts. My family started the first Underground Railroad home in Michigan, and she understood that it wasn't just enough to be like in order to be really free, you have to be a part of the economic system as well. And so over her course of her lifetime, she literally personally helped over 200,000 people to freedom. Um, And every generation has carried on the legacy and said, okay, what is, okay, I'm the next person. It's like, what can we do to serve these communities that my family has been serving for generations now? And I had always loved like community engagement. I'd always loved um, serving. But as a little kid, I was seeing, you know, I grew up in church and I was going to like the, the soup kitchens and food banks and volunteering. But my question, even as a little kid, was what happens after the needs and betterment are, you know, taken care of? and what i didn't have words to at that time was like the the next step was the development piece what does actual you know economic development look like in a community as a little kid like i said i didn't know um and so i got into the political realm because and i'm a political science major because i thought well change happens at the highest level so i got into politics i did a lot of campaigning um ended up being um, you know, one of the presidential, like, coordinators in our community, or actually the district, and, uh, you know, went to D.C., and I realized that change actually happened at the local level. So I was like, what am I doing here? I literally have to go back home and figure it out. Um, and so that was, like, a huge disruption in my life. And so my parents literally started subscribing me to, like, Inc., in Fast Company and it was like a subtle hint to be like, maybe you should think about business, you know. Um, So I started looking at communities that were on that tipping point of, you know, really having a renewal in their community. One of being which was Detroit. At that time, Detroit was not a cool place to be. People were like, don't go to Detroit, it's really dangerous. Um, but I stumbled across a blog called Detroit Moxie and it was her fortieth or forty first birthday and she had written a blog saying, um, forty forty things to do before you're dead, you know, to do in Detroit. And on it it was Detroit Soup. And I was like, What is Detroit Soup? So I wandered down to Mexican town, to the Mexican town bakery, and it was on the second floor. It was I don't want to say it was like an attic, but I think it was a storage space up above the bakery. And here I find, you know, especially artists, it was the artist community that were really coming together, um, sharing a meal, really talking about the challenges that they're facing in their, their own neighborhoods, in the solutions that they had. And I was like, I love this concept. And I thought, you know, how would, I adopt this model that they adopted from Chicago in my own city but have it be maybe a little bit more sustainable so I started talking to people in in our community and there are three different things that really populated like one uh, I have an idea I don't know how to like where to begin um, Two, I have a network but it's not like it's not bigger than my family and friends. And three, I know there's resources, but I don't know how to tap into them. And I was like, well, we could adopt the soup model, but have it be towards business. Um, And honestly, people were always saying, hey, I need funding, I need funding to start. But the first two soups that we had, we quickly realized that people don't just need funding, they actually need a community of support. So we, we were very naive going into it in the very beginning. And we said, wow, this is not what I expected. I thought we would just be like, hey, we're going to raise money and here's a check and go do what you need to do. But that wasn't the case because we needed to create like an organic grassroots network of people and support because it's the networks that really propel success in businesses. Like nobody does business alone when I started, I didn't know anything about business, Mm -hmm. like at all. I knew how to gather people around like an idea um, and rally people because that's what I did in the political realm. But somebody asked me, how do I get a nutritional label? I was like, I have no idea, but we're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was the beginning.
0: No, that's great. I mean, that was a super cool story. How you kind of almost stumbled upon it when you were in a time where your life was kind of you hit the reset button. Yeah. You, you had to jump back to your roots and didn't really know where to go, and you just stumbled upon that, which is super cool. Um, with that being said, so you guys are technically a, a nonprofit. Is that right? Or,
2: Yes. Yeah, so. Yeah,
0: if you want to explain the whole process, then like with with kind of legitimizing like the the business and everything, cause sure. That was a long process for us, for sure. We <laughs> didn't, we had no idea what business was or anything. So Yeah.
2: So when we first started 11 years ago, uh, it was just James and I and a couple others that were just bringing crock of soup to like after-hours restaurant and gathering people together mm-hmm. because I had decided, well, I'm going to be entrepreneurial, so I'm going to become an entrepreneur. And I identified a potential problem, and I think I have a solution. So when we first started... The first four years, we were just doing it, you know, as much as we could with, you know, funds that would come in, or we would save up funding and host an event. I never expected to be a service support provider. Honestly, I didn't even know where the service support for entrepreneurs were. I was like, well, I'll just create it myself, um, and so that's what we did. Um, and then year five came because we had hosted 16 soups at that time. Um, But by the year five, the Mott Foundation had been starting to attend our events, asking how they can help. We actually told them no for three years, because we're like, we really want to make sure that we understand the problem that we're solving, that the community is ready, that the trust is being built, and that um, we have a viable solution to the problem that we think we're solving. And so I didn't have a nonprofit status at that time, like at all. And so um, we had had a conversation with the local United Way to be our uh, fiduciary. So Flint Soup is on paper a uh, program of the United Way because they submit for our funding and then we are able to, to deliver the work. It was just, I think, this past year um, where we finally took the leap and uh, filed for our own standalone 501c3, um, that which Flint Soup will eventually become a A program of DOCSA development because the scope has increased. People from other states, other cities, and other nations have said, hey we really love the model we've been following your work for the last 11 years, can you help us create a model like this in our own community? Um, And how nonprofits work is like for the local United Way of Genesee County, um, they have that geographic focus. So under their nonprofit status they have a specific boundary, but we were gonna be operating outside of that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like a snapshot of how that works on the back end.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. And like with us with Gas Money, it's kind of similar where we started out uh, working with our friends in one local community and then we kind of realized (laughs) we want to kind of scale it some more. So um, with the Flint Soup and as you guys kind of grow, are you looking to um, keep the soup name or do you have plans to just work with other companies and kind of help them or other nonprofits? and give them advice
2: yeah so we've been talking a lot about this lately so i think because flint soup because it's it's a, a, a well-known name here mm. we're going to keep it as like flint soup but in other communities i believe we're going to go and call them like daxa feasts mm-hmm. um and, you know and do a little tiny bit of rebranding but that's still in the works yeah so, yeah that's super
0: <laughs> cool and that's what comes with you know the expansion part of mm-hmm. it because I mean for a while it seems like you guys were like it's really working here let's keep it working yeah. here and you know when people start to reach out though then it makes you think it the gears start turning let's help even more people yeah. if, if we get this chance um, and with that being said when you expand I know nothing about a nonprofit that whole mm-hmm. side of it when you expand that kind of business is it like a like a franchising approach or which what kind of approach is it so they're still that parent company, I guess.
2: Sure, yeah. So we've been thinking a lot about that as well. Um, I know several individuals come, came to us and they said, hey, we, we'd like you to put together a program. We'd like to have you like give step-by-step as like, how, how you did to soup. Um, but I'm kind of torn by that because soup isn't like a cookie-cutter program. It's not like a franchise model. In order for a soup to work, you really have to understand the data and demographics and challenges of your own community to make it work. We always encourage people, don't try to replicate what we do. Try to understand your community at a very basic level to understand how a soup model, like the Detroit soup model, is very different in a lot of ways than the Flint soup model, but we took what made sense into our own community and then we share the same values as, you know, being a grassroots, being, you know, generous with their time and resources, creating, like, a holistic approach to entrepreneurship um, because I don't want cookie-cutter programs. Yeah, because
0: right? then it, it makes it bland. It, makes it does, it, yeah. yeah. It makes it look, you know, like a, like a McDonald's, you yeah. know, how it's <laughs> just spread everywhere where, honestly, probably when it was just one restaurant, that's when it was yeah. the best. So. And that's, that's the biggest thing with any type of expansion. I feel like even for us, you know, we, mm-hmm. at the very beginning, we were so um, good at the community building and yeah. knowing everybody. And now we're, it's kind of a parallel where we're trying to figure out how we can still make that feel the same way in, you know, potentially across the country, in different places across the world. So it's yeah. it's a lot um, to think about, and I know it's probably an interesting time to go through, but I guess to now pivot a little bit, James, what, um, you know, you were talking a little bit off the record about what you were doing, uh, you know, before everything, and I mean, how did you get, it, get involved, and, um, you know, what made you get this passion, because I see you definitely have very similar passions for this as well.
1: Yeah, I think what it comes down to is really just the passion for people and being able to meet them where, where they're at and then grow, grow beyond that into who they're really supposed to be and meant to be. Um, I, Adrian met me at a very interesting point in my life. I, I'd been a missionary for five years. and you think of missionaries, they're doing maybe gospel crusades or planting churches or doing stuff like that. And we did that, but mostly what I did was international community health and development. I ran medical clinics, I built orphanages, I dug wells, I did um, the, the health and wellness of the community aspect of like, what you don't really hear a lot about with missions work. And I had done that for five years, I'd gone to school for it. Um, we would go into communities, we'd go into areas, we would meet with their leaders, we'd meet with the people, we would assess their needs, we would hear what their needs were and say, how can we help you meet that and then how can we leave what can we leave you right now because when we go we might not come back for a couple of years and we want to make sure that what we've left you with is going to be able to sustain itself Um, very very unique way of doing doing missions and um, did that and that really became my my passion I ran out of money Um, I kind of ran out of steam you you go for five years Overseas and you come back home and all your friends are married and your family's married and people have moved on and it's sort kind of like I got to rebuild my life again And so I just started rebuilding it up in Flint because the only thing I knew how to do That would actually earn me money in the United States was drive an ambulance And it turned out I was actually pretty good at being an EMT and I rose to the through the ranks and I became a paramedic and I um, Having done what I'd done overseas, working as an inner city medic was like a cakewalk. It was nothing. Um, it, it obviously a lot of lots of trauma. You know, it's nothing to, you know, not take seriously being a medic in, in the United States. But um, it was not stressful to me, and I was just I was good at it. I've always been a great technician. I can fix stuff that breaks, and I can heal people that hurt, I don't think like an entrepreneur. Um, my dad ran his own business for most of my life and I didn't take up the family business. I uh, learned how to dig wells and do medicine and I took off for China. So I meet Adrian one day walking down which we, a friend of mine invited me on a prayer walk. Uh, I turned my phone off and missed all the calls to come back into work and so I didn't go to work When I should have, and I just went on a prayer walk with with my friends, and Adrian invited me, or um, actually Adrian didn't invite me, I I invited Adrian to join the group we were in, and she tells me about this thing called Flint Soup, and um, or Detroit Soup, Mm -hmm. and she's like I I want to bring this to Flint. Let me tell you a little bit about how it helps the community, how we can help meet people's needs where they're at, and
2: yeah, we didn't do a lot of praying. Right, I don't think we're at all. Um, <laughs> I was just Sounds too like a I was just right. too excited. I didn't um, even know him. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have this great idea!" Right, it's like anything
1: that I've ever done with Adrian. We agree to do, and then we just never talk about what we agreed to talk about. <laughs> we talk about whatever's on our mind. And um, I started getting excited because I really did want to be established and kind of really rebuild my life back here in Michigan. But I missed that going into the community, meeting new people that would become my new best friends and helping m- meet the need of where they're at. And Adrian was telling me about this this thing in Detroit called Detroit Soup that she thinks can go on here in Flint. And I was like, wow, yeah, that is exactly everything I've always wanted to do. But gosh, I can do it right here back at home. And yeah, she must have got my phone number because she called me up a few months later and said, I'm doing it. I need a crock pot of soup. Yeah, I, I
2: told you like hey I know how to bring people yeah, together yeah. Uh, and he's like well what do you what do you need? I was like I don't know how to make a crackpot of soup I don't think I've li- literally made a, any soup in my life at that point mm-hmm. and he's like I know how to make soup I was like great what is your number and uh, yeah, I called you five months later and you forgot who Why? I was I was like hey I'm the soup girl I need some soup at this time location you gonna come? You know? Yeah. And then you yeah. said yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, so I made, I made my mom's chicken and rice soup that I'd been eating my whole life and pulled some other recipes together and, mm-hmm. yeah, showed up at this restaurant after hours with my own crock pot of soup. Like, I have no idea yeah. what I'm getting into right now.
2: It was the lunch studio. It was a lunch, yeah. I didn't no have any studio. money. I didn't have any location and I had no idea who would actually show up at the event
3: and for that event like how did you (laughs) kind of do outreach to get people interested was it just kind of reaching out to random people or did you have like a community already kind of set up through what you were doing
2: yeah uh, slightly yeah so at that time I was at U of M Flint taking a uh, playwriting course and my uh, professor was Andy Morton and he said hey uh, I'm connected to the arts community and I was like great and then he told me about this mini grant through the Greater Flint's Arts Council and he said I think you should apply and I said I've never written a grant before he's like ah, it's like two pages I was like ah, okay <laughs> let's do it you know and uh, and so I applied and I wasn't a part of the arts community at that time but I literally said that in my grant like the art is the dinner, which is the tapestry of the community, and I try to be as creative as I could um, while still making sense, and 73 people applied. I believe oh, wow. 15 wow. people were awarded. They're like, yeah, this sounds cool. I have no idea what you're talking about, but like, go do it, and I was like, yes, um, and so I said, Andy, I got the uh, the grant. What do I do? He's like, okay, I, I know a few arts arts people. I said, great, can you reach out to them? And maybe we could pick four out of the, you know, whatever applications come in. And so that's how it went. I said, oh, my gosh, I don't have a space, and I can't use U of M. Flint because they've got all these rules about caterers, and I don't have money to pay these caterers, and uh, I'm just going to bring Kraft Pot of Soup to a potluck. And he's like, have you thought of the lunch studio downtown? I was like, no, that's a great idea. So go down to the lunch studio. Hey, what are you doing with your space after 5 p.m. when you shut the doors and turn off the lights? And uh, um, Tracy was super nice. And she's like, do you? yeah, I can open up the space. I was like, great. I won't provide any drinks or water or pop. And people can pay you, you know, so it will be worth your while. And we're going to pack the space. And that's what we did. And soon we started outgrowing that space and I needed larger meeting rooms, which went into church basements, which is, you know, outgrew church basements and, you know, it kept on going and going. Um, But it was really hustle in the beginning. I was like, I'm shamelessly going to ask a stranger to make me soup and a stranger to let me use their back room, you know? and. Just yeah. go with it. We yeah. talk
0: about that so much, <laughs> and it's so important. Um, we've been doing some presentations at schools, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the biggest things that we talk about is not being afraid to reach out to yeah. people. So, yeah. And it's shamelessly sometimes <laughs> yeah. because a lot of times you have to figure out the current situation. If you really want something to work, yeah. you have to ask for help. And um, do you guys have any more examples just how, as you were growing, you probably yeah. continued to do that Um Were you also, you know, just reaching out like you kind of did with us, shamelessly (laughs) reached out to gas money? I think it was just an email. Yeah. And and it all worked out into, you know, what you guys have done for us today, which is insane. Um, But I guess, do you have any, like, big examples in your head that really, you know, reached out and it just grew this huge connection of, you know, either web to different connections or really helped you get to the next step?
2: Yeah. So in the middle of, like still working for someone else before we went into full-time work in Flint Soup. I was working for the Flint Area Reinvestment Office and uh, this is like such a crazy story. So my boss comes to me because the entrepreneurial environment in Flint was just percolating. You know, there were pockets of entrepreneurs but it wasn't this big thing you know, yet. And um, my boss was like hey, we want it." engage entrepreneurs in a different way and I said okay cool and so um, he's like so come up with an idea and let's try it out and so I said okay awesome just give me just give me a little bit of time I'm a person of prayer so I'm like Jesus please give me wisdom I don't know what to do right now and um, literally in my prayer time I was like jotting down different things that I was that was just coming to mind and three things came to mind 1,000 square foot space free, month and a half. And I was like, I don't know. This must be the Lord talking because I have no idea what this means. So I go back to my boss, and I said, Jason, I need a 1,000 square foot space free for a month and a half. (laughs) Or or not 1,000, 10,000 square foot space. And I'm like, where am I going to get a 10,000 square foot space? So crazy as it seems, he's in a meeting that afternoon, and he's like, Adrian's nuts. She wants a 10,000 square foot space free for a month and a half great like like I said, crazy as it seems, there was a investor around the table and he's like, "You got a ten thousand square foot space. She can't have it for free, but only for a month because we're doing a build out, and you know we're gonna need that space back." So it comes back to me. He's like, "You got your ten thousand square foot space free for a, for only a month," and I was like, "The Lord told me a month and a half. I'm gonna get it for a month and a half." You know, <laughs> 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 just believe me for the impossible. It ends up being. Um, the second floor of the Flint Farmers Market before they built it out. It was a raw open space and um, my boss said, this is one of the largest investors in the city, don't make mess this up, you know, <laughs> and he's like, so what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I got to pray about it. I don't know what's next, you know. And so um, what came to mind was like a pop-up coworking space because I needed a way to connect with the community, but I needed to know who was working on what. and. How, how they were working on it and make these connections, which really funneled into, you know, actually Flint soup, you know, taking the stage and utilizing that. So for over a month, we were, you know, doing pop-ups randomly, people were driving in from other cities, I could hear about different projects. The space was activated in a way that would have not happened. Um, what I didn't know was that U of M Flint had just done an existing conditions report uh, saying that the viability of a co-working space wasn't viable in our community, but I was like, man, grassroots, like data is very different than, you know, data that you have on hand. And so we were entrepreneurs just coming together and making stuff happen. Um, And then through that, uh, we actually had a temporary space on the 4th or 5th floor of the Dryden building In that co-working space is actually now the co-working space at the Ferris wheel. So it got absorbed into the Ferris wheel once the Ferris wheel was launched. So just from that one idea, you know, being able to see it be established and transition to different organizations through time, like I would have never guessed. Like that, if I said, hey, I need a 10,000 square foot space, that somebody would say, yeah, I've got one, you know? And the cool thing is, like, leading up to the first pop-up of that co-working space, I didn't have any budget. I literally only had the Wi-Fi. I was believing God for a miracle. And um, in my prayer time, I was just jotting down, like, I had this vision of this space. I didn't share it with anybody. And I was like, God, please, miracle. I need a miracle, you know? Because, like four weeks before the pop-up space no like nothing three two one week there's still no furniture and I was like did I hear you wrong (laughs) you know (laughs) because you start doubting yourself um but the day before there was a lot of boxes that were dropped off my boss is like get down to the farmer's market it's like we need to talk and I was like we at least we have boxes to sit on and um And so he's like, I'm going to leave you to this. They don't know where this goes. I opened up all the boxes. It was literally every single piece of furniture, like on my private prayer list, that was literally provided the day before. And uh, I was like, where did this come from? And apparently it was a local, from what I was told, it was a local businessman who's like, I was literally sitting in front of my computer and decided to purchase some Ikea furniture for no apparent reason and drop it off at the Flint Farmer's Market. I was like, praise God, you know? Um, It was like, so crazy things happen all like that all the time in like Flint soup, like Mm -hmm. crazy like provision. Um, And so, yeah, just like asking or just like sharing your heart with people. So many people will say yes you know even when it comes to reading an article and saying oh my gosh i really want to connect with this person i don't care if it's in fast company or Inc. write them if you want to connect with this person they 90 percent of the time will say sure i'll give you 15 minutes let's have a conversation and then that connection is established and what we do is we after a conversation we say who, who who else do you think we should meet? And would you be willing to provide an intro? I cannot tell you how many people across the nation and in other countries we've met that way. It's like, I'd be willing to fly to meet them just for 15 minutes of their time because I have no idea where that connection will lead next. Um, so those are like... Yeah, two that's, stories that's yeah. amazing Yeah, especially
3: with like the, the praying and just kind of thinking of it and that's like Austin awesome yeah. that and we kind of um, like believe in manifestation it goes along mm-hmm. those same lines yeah. it's just really interesting there's a lot of times where you'll need something in the business world and then it just comes to you and uh, yeah. I think it goes hand in hand with what you guys are doing you, you know usually um, you get rewarded for doing good work and that's what's awesome yeah. with you is um, like Austin mentioned when you first reached out to us we had no idea where to go with our business we were just starting out we had just mm-hmm. built this app and uh, we had a general idea of how to run a business, but we really weren't as prepared as we thought we were to actually start growing it. And I remember the first time we reached out, I was like, man, Flint Soup, I, uh, it sounds like there'll be a dinner, but that was during COVID. <laughs> yeah. So we actually did, um, after we had like worked with you guys, we did our presentation on Zoom and uh, the next question is um, kind of with networking, and this is a sphere where you're networking with people a lot. Um, yeah. When COVID came to that, did that hinder you at all, or did that um, accelerate it in a way because you were using Zoom calls um, and kind of doing that online interaction?
2: Yeah, so that was one question that we had. We're like, well, we've never had to do this online before, like, and we had no idea. So we, what we were planning and thinking through is, okay, we want to make it as real as possible like for example like we didn't want to mute anybody on the call so if Mm -hmm. anybody on the Flint suit pitch would sneeze like on a zoom call their their name would pop up because that's what it would be like in in person you know and uh, we had to be way more intentional with reaching out maintaining those connections and facilitating connection between participants Still to this day, we're like, oh my gosh, you don't know so-and-so, you know? And so I think we're going to go back to maybe hosting meetups just so the network can actually get together. Um, also during that time, um, we had been dreaming about uh, creating a like 90-day business refinement program, and we had started thinking about that year five, I think, into it. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were seeing the same types of uh, challenges pop up in a lot of these businesses and it's like what would I learn from start to finish if I could learn it in a consecutive order um, and so we're like okay we'll just sketch out a 12 week curriculum of what we would teach you know um, you know maybe it's business partnerships and how to not to d- disconnect in conflict and What does it look like to think through who your ideal customer is? You know, buyer persona. It's like all these little things that you are like, why didn't anyone tell me this? Like I'm three years into my business and now I have to redraft everything. Um, And at that time we were sharing with Janice Mueller at the SBDC. She's like, hey, I know you're working on something. She's like, I just got some CARES Act funding. She's like, I love what you guys do. She's like, we've got an influx of a lot of business starts and small business. Um, Could I, you know, cover, you know, the cost of business cohorts? And that was like the perfect tie-in to our work. So that's what we started working on. We launched HH90 as people had started to brand it. And uh, just the the connection between participants over a three-month time, every single week, working on what they're working with, really... Uh, led to a lot more connections and not feeling isolated, a lot more partnerships. And I would say majority of the business doubled or tripled their income during that time. Honestly, during COVID and even now, like the businesses that we're engaging with are doing incredibly well. Um, None of them have gone out of business that I can think of, the ones that are engaging quite regularly. So that's really encouraging. And even this year we were crunching our data um. So our program dollars to host the four Flint Soups are around seventy five hundred because we're doing it quarterly right now. Um, and from that we usually double the numbers for the micro grant, mm-hmm. um, with you know the community match and sometimes other matching dollars from organizations. Um, but we're super excited to say that from that initial seventy five hundred, during a twelve month period, um, we are expecting to be over the two million dollars of economic impact which is amazing mm-hmm. it's like how, how do you do that, that is awesome. you do that by creating a a decentralized network right mm-hmm. if it's centralized it wouldn't act that way but creating like actually meaning relationships with people that it's more than like passing a business card it's like hi my name is it's like no like you really need a business network for people that actually care about you you know that call you up say hey are you sleeping are you eating like do you need help how can I help, um, and creating that over the last decade has really encouraged and increased economic um, opportunity and impact in our region.
0: Yeah, and I mean I guess this that's first of all congratulations. No, that's thank you. that's insane. That's yeah. awesome because <laughs> uh, I mean we we've talked to so many people about you guys and referred so much because of the impact you guys had on us. I mean, and that, the family feel almost. It's just, and then, you know, going to the events and even when it was on Zoom, it just felt like everybody cared, like you said, Mm -hmm. which is amazing that you were able to kind of coordinate that, that feel to it. Um, My biggest question, and obviously it's so easy nowadays to reach out to new people and Mm -hmm. try to network uh, with social media and technology in general. I mean how do you guys get the new people or is it a lot of just the same um, people that then refer in word-of-mouth I mean Mm -hmm. word-of-mouth probably does a lot because that's that's something that we've really benefited from Uh, and that's it's a very interesting uh, way of marketing it's almost like it's hard to understand how it works Uh, but it's just having such a great product or service um, and then you know the other people are just mm-hmm. talking about it. So I guess what was the biggest way to get new people um, engaged?
2: Yeah, in the, in the early days it was, um, gosh, we turned down almost all media or any write-ups mm-hmm. because we didn't want to attract people that just wanted the money. We really wanted people who were really seeking for resources, who you know wanted to engage in the community. I didn't want it to be transactional. It's like we're not a consumer-driven organization. Sure, on paper, we look like we're a service support provider, but it, we're really a community of people, and we want people to be engaged and plugged in. So in the very early days, it was very intentional to say, hey, like, can I meet other family and friends? We still do that to this day. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, uh, the community members will say, hey, I actually ran across a business, and we might pop in not introduce ourselves, but experience the product or service and then watch and wait. It's like, how are these individuals showing up? Like, is this like true leadership? Like, do we wanna be able to highlight their business? Are they ready for, to step into that opportunity? Because a lot of times when people step into Tiflin soup, it's like bombarded with opportunity and not all opportunity is good for a business, right? And I think people sometimes, if they're not ready to be able to say no, it can be really detrimental to the longevity and sustainability of the business. A lot of times we we sit and watch. it's like, okay, like how are they showing up? Are they consistent? Where do they need help with? You know? Um, and then rely on the community to to really vet people as well. Um, and then we start working with individuals and then we see, Are they showing up, are they consistent, are they serious? Can they accept uh, feedback without shutting down? You know, because I can't work with somebody who's not willing to have feedback. It's almost impossible. Unfortunately, that's the reality of working with a business. It's like, hey, if you're not able to receive, you know, constructive criticism and, and feedback, I just can't work with you. You yeah. know and that's tough <laughs> to say, right? Like, but that's just the reality of of the work. Um, and if people are just talking about the money, talking about the money, they're just not a good investment. You know, we're looking at what businesses do investment and steward the resources that we have. You know, to create um, the environment, the business environment that we hope to achieve by the end of the year. You know, doing that one percent better you know in our in our community so that's like a little snapshot of that yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah that's awesome and then uh, mm-hmm. another question too, just kind of pivot a little bit um, um, with the gas money podcast we're usually uh, obviously geared towards the younger generation and uh, James yeah. something you said about your background really caught my attention where um, you kinda you went overseas uh, to do your mission and then you came back and you almost had that fresh start where you're kind of starting out uh, with, whether it was your career or just your plans in general and we found that like a lot of our peers when we were in high school um, it can be really difficult to decide what what you want to do with your life. Mm-hmm. And um, just going into uh, something like going overseas doing a mission or um, starting a, a career or a business, it can be really intimidating at first, especially with the, the chance of it not succeeding or yeah. the risk that's involved. So um, I guess my question for you, and then Adrian, you can add if you'd like. Um, is With the Flint soup, uh, was there a point where um, you got, obviously you got comfortable enough to kind of go full time with that, but where was that real turning point where Um, You realize that your passion for kind of helping people could be transformed more through the Flint soup than uh, what you'd been working on before.
1: Yeah, we had just talked about this earlier. Um, The more and more I got involved with Flint soup, so like I just started making, you know, bringing crockpots of soup. And then I started putting chairs away at the end of the day because nobody else was doing it. And then, you know, like I started doing more things with Adrienne, getting to know her as a... As a friend, and she would invite me to different community meetings, and I just start to get a better feel for the community itself. And then I had to start making this choice between my work and my day job, or missing these great opportunities that were going on within Flint Soup. Adrian would call me and say, "Google came, do you know this thing? We all talked to Google, or like <laughs> this guy from California came." We and I'm like, I'm sitting here in the back of an ambulance <laughs> eating like whatever I could snag from Speedway, and I'm like, I'm. Like, I have to make this choice now because what Flynn Soup is doing and what Adrian is doing right now is so much in tune with what I was built to do and kind of like born to be, even though I'm really good at what I do. and i got a great career. I had the choice. I'm like, I can can go be a supervisor over in a different county and probably get a raise and probably, you know, rise up even higher into the ranks. And I wanted to be on a helicopter as a paramedic and do all that kind of like cool stuff. But I was like, But then I wouldn't be able to do this amazing work that I see is happening right now within my own community. And I just had to make that choice. And it just, it kind of came down to it was, for me personally, it was too painful to keep the job that I had right now and not go and and work with Flint Super. And huge financial risk, you know, letting go of everything I just, you know, created. Huge, uh, huge step in faith working with. Adrian, you know, somebody who, you know, I was friends with, who just kind of offered me a job, um, but then was like, we have to figure out how to pay ourselves now, though. Um, (laughs) Huge risk, and, you know, it was worth it. Um, Totally, totally worth it. And to just kind of then let it grow from there. And honestly, starting out, and I would have these conversations with Adrian all the time, I'm like, I don't think I belong at this table. Like, I do not fit in with people like Adrian who can just walk to her boss and say, 10,000 square feet, I need it. <laughs> um, or we were talking with somebody who's like, I had this idea in the middle of the night, I walked into an investor, I said, I need $10,000 right now, I'll start a business tomorrow. And he got it and he, he built a business in like a weekend. And I'm like, I do not belong at this table. Like, I I put my finger in bullet wounds to stop from bleeding, you know, I." You know, dig wells with my bare hands. I don't belong here. I can't bring anything. And, um, and Adrian's like, you, and maybe this is something just for people to keep in mind. If you didn't belong there, they wouldn't have invited you in the first place. And so I started looking at it through that mindset. And then I started paying more attention to what people said. And there's always that underlying need. There's always that underlying need that perhaps you have that insight from a completely different perspective that nobody um, nobody would have seen it from. And so
3: it's really cool too hearing both your backgrounds I know we keep going back but like just the fact that especially with your family like the the whole entire lineage of helping people out and that's the biggest thing that Austin and I really want to get out of gas money um, is uh, like kind of in your situation where you had to choose between that guaranteed career Mm -hmm. or going into a business with a large risk I uh, I had a similar decision to make Um, basically throughout high school I wanted to be an actuarial scientist um, Mm -hmm. basically like doing business statistics and they make a good amount of money I think they start out at like ninety, a hundred thousand dollars a year, and that was my planned career pathway. But then uh, I met Austin, and we started out gas money. It just started as a lawn care business and when we were getting ready to graduate high school we had this decision to make do we want to keep gas money going and uh, commit to this as we go into college and beyond or do we want to let it die out and then go and get a career like most of our other peers are doing um, and basically in my mind at the time it was choosing between a guaranteed salary uh, for a long amount of time i basically know the rest of my life or um, taking a large risk there's no guarantee of success but there's a large chance I'll be able to help a lot of people and there's also the chance that it could succeed and it could do well. Um, So just in general, um, while making that decision, would you say that your legacy and the impact you can have on people um, outweighs the financials um, just in general when you're making that kind of decision? Because that's what really drove us is just the ability to help people on a large scale.
2: Yeah, honestly, like in the beginning, I never even thought about money. Like it's like, hey, like, I just have this in my heart to do, and the funding and the money followed. Like, it was never factored in probably the first five years until somebody said, hey, I want to compensate you for your work. And it's like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm having so much fun doing this for free, but if you want to, you know? <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that's, that's the craziest part. You know, like he said, it was just such a... And I mean, it wasn't easy for either of us. I had such a, it's just something in, a, in an entrepreneur's mind that you just like, you see that vision. You have that yeah. goal. You have what isn't even close to being created yet, but it's, mm-hmm. it's up here. And um, I mean, we've had plenty of conversations at that point in our lives where, you know, it got heated. There was <laughs> times where it was like, this is not a... The conversation, this is an argument this <laughs> yeah. this is a fight, but um no we get we get through that and uh, I think we're both so glad that we still kept that going and even you know when I because I went to Adrian college, actually, mm-hmm. I think okay. you probably yeah, know yeah, that yeah, yeah. and uh, so when I went there, he was still in high school for a year uh, as a senior and he was still keeping it going with a couple of our friends that were also still in high school. so yeah. that and then you know I was helping out just over the phones and things like that. But I mean, even the decision for me to drop out of college that same first year—it was my second semester. COVID hit, mm-hmm. and I said, first of all, I can't learn this way. Second of all, I think we need to grow <laughs> this even quicker and yeah. really make this thing happen. So that's that's what I did now. And I mean, even that decision—it was big. It took a lot of thought, and um, I mean, a lot of these decisions—you look back and. They seem so large and heavy at that time, mm-hmm. um, which I think it, it, they truly are because they affect so. They can affect so much in the future. Um, but I guess to now go really over here, uh, just to wrap it up a little bit, um, we always ask because basically all of our uh, viewership and our mm-hmm. listeners on here is between like 16 and 25-year-olds, mm-hmm. um, which is really crazy because that's our exact niche for the Gas <laughs> yeah. Money Services app. Yeah. Um, but we always ask the guests uh, if there is one piece of advice, um, either just for that, that age range, um, either if it's just business advice or just life advice in general. I mean, just going, digging deep into what you guys have learned and everything I bet you have a lot. But uh, just if there was one piece from each of you.
2: I would say the risk is is worth it. You know, because even just thinking about where I was at the time of you know, dropping out of I co- dropped out of college too twice actually. Oh, okay. I just couldn't sit there. I was like, ah, I'm looking outside the window like more than I'm paying attention in class, and it's like, why am I here? You know, why why am I doing this? And uh, and I I would say to myself like, okay, like I don't want to live with regret. You know, I want to make calculated decisions, not like crazy ones that don't make any sense, you know, because I started gathering, like, advisors around me. It's like, okay, if I'm going to make this really big decision, which felt like a really big decision, but looking back, it wasn't as big of a decision as I thought it would. But at that time, it felt really real, you know, like a very, like, huge shift. Um, I gathered people around me that I trust, and I confided in them and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about dropping out of college. And they'd ask me, like, critical questions. These are all older people with a lot of experience and, um, you know, just talk through different types of things, right? And I can't imagine not having the last 11 years because of fear, right? And, mm. uh, and all the lives and all the families and all the impact and all the friendships that we've created through that you know, and all the places that we've been, and all the stories that we've heard, and all the things that I've learned. I actually learned more in the last 11 years than I did the previous, like, 20 years of my life, right? Um, And so, like, if if you're afraid, you know, find people you trust, join a community that you trust, that you can bounce ideas off with, and you know, that you can find balance with somebody. Like James is completely opposite than me in every single way, right? You know, he likes the day-to-day, the routine. I like to pioneer and build things while flying, you know, but I need the balance and he needs the balance, right? So we don't stay in a rut. But I would say make, make calculated risks and learn from them. They're never failures like even when things blow up it's like okay well what did i learn through this and even then you can start mentoring and teaching people like this is what i did you know and really um i, I don't want to say never focus on money because profitability is a real thing in business it's a tool yeah, yeah. but that should never be your driving force mm-hmm. it, never ever ever have profitability and money be your driving force because it is not sustainable. It's just not. You can never have enough money. You can never accomplish enough. And learn balance early, right? So I got into the habit of working at all these hours, you know, all the time. But then I neglected my family, you know, my mom and dad and brother and sister. I neglected my friends. I let time pass. So you could really get caught up in idea And then look back and say, where did the last 20 years of my life go? You know, and don't ever have your identity be your work, what you do. Literally have a separate identity from the things that you accomplish. Because when your business fails, when something disrupts, you know, your plans, you're going to be like, who am I? You know, and that is like, I think, you know, what happens, the ebbs and flows in life as well. Yeah. So, like, these are, like, this, no, these awesome. things that I'm that just, was... like, thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to add, too, like, uh, I loved what you were saying about kind of uh, don't focus on the money. And obviously, the, like, yeah. a lot of people will say, well, you need money to live. And that's true. It, yeah. it buys you food. It buys you shelter. It buys you happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but in most instances, passion is really what we yeah. found. Um, it gives you the ultimate happiness, and um, we've, we we kind of we actually put that in our slide. We did a presentation yesterday at a school, and um, basically we talked about how passion. Um, if you follow your passion, eventually money will follow mm-hmm. um, yeah. as a result of that. And I mean, with you guys, what you've been doing, um, in a sense, like the money could be seen as the connections you've built or the people that you've impacted, which is awesome. And um, I guess James, I know Adrian covered a ton of <laughs> know, awesome sorry, advice. Was, like, ah! um, was there any um, <laughs> one piece of advice you could think of for young adults? For young
1: adults, yeah, Yeah. Um, we have so many entrepreneurs who come to us. great idea, and we're like, this is a great idea. Have you ever done that before? (laughs) You want to start a restaurant? Awesome. You're a great cook. Have you done that before? No. Okay, well, go grab a job as a line cook for Mm -hmm. like a summer to actually see if you're cut out for it because we have so many entrepreneurs. Like, I have this great idea. I want to do it. And about three months, into like, oh, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do it, right? Mm-hmm. So, for me, one of the the larger I wouldn't call it a regret, but maybe looking back, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had been more aware of when I should have reached the end of where I was and moved on. Um, I took a job, I did something, and then I hung on to it for four or five years too long because of my own personal pride, right? Or I'd put too much work into it. If I had just said, you know what, I've reached my time here. Time to go on to the next thing that's going to help grow inside of me what I already know I want to do, instead of like holding on to it till it became a dead end job. I'm right. like, I've learned what I needed to learn here. Why don't I go to that next thing? I've worked as my line cook for the you know for the summer. Why am I working here? You know for the next five years? You know what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to the manager and see if there's something new. Or hey, you know what? You know what? I'm ready. I'm going to go talk to an actual chef, see if I can get myself a mentorship or an apprenticeship or something, you know, if that makes sense. And I didn't do that, and I wish I had. You know, I only started doing that later on Mm -hmm. in life, and it would have been super, super helpful because instead of building up my own personal arsenal of knowledge and experience, I just kind of built up some money in my savings account, which ultimately didn't help me at all because I put it all into a business that didn't work. So... Yeah, that'd be my, my thought there. No, that's great,
0: and uh, and kind of jumping back to like what you were talking about with regret, and you also mentioned it too. Mm-hmm. Um, we and you almost said it actually. We uh, also in our presentation we say um, basically you will regret the uh, the decisions that you um, or no, you will regret the actions that you don't make more than the ones that you actually yeah. do, mm-hmm. and that's it's crazy to you know, it it makes sense after you really think about Mm -hmm. it because, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, uh, well, if I go to jail today, I mean, I'm gonna really regret that, but at the same time, you know, you get out of jail and, but also if there's this big passion that you have, this big pursuit, this big dream, and you just push it away, push it away, you know, put it in the back of your head for years on end, like Mm -hmm. you were saying, um, and you never pursue that, you're gonna regret regret that way more, you know, on your deathbed. than any of those either mistakes or just decisions in life that you ever actually made. So Mm -hmm. that's a a really big one that we... Like to talk about. Yeah, and to kind of
3: wrap it up too, I loved what you were saying about the experience part of things, like uh, if you're going to start like a restaurant, go out and get experience as a cook, and um, that's what Austin and I did with the gas money thing, uh, obviously with the technology part of it, that's one of the things we need to uh, brush up on, and we've been uh, gaining a lot more experience with that with mentors and just experience with it, uh, but the main thing was we're making a platform for young adults to mow lawns, uh, do yard work, and uh, we we did that before, and we that's why we kind of had so much passion behind it, and I think a lot of um, the passion comes from that experience and learning the lessons through what you like, what you don't like, and um, really just to kind of wrap up what both you said as young adults is just go out, um, make experiences and things that you're passionate about, and it eventually will give you kind of a clear sight of what you want to be in the future. And uh, time is the biggest asset I mean oh. um, right now uh, Austin's 21 I'm 20 and you guys are both young as well and I mean it's it's crazy how much you can accomplish in a short amount of time and so many people wait until late in their lives to start when I think the best time to start is now
2: so, Absolutely. yeah
3: exactly <laughs> And uh, just to wrap it up too um, we always like to uh, have you guys plug like your website um, where can people reach you mm-hmm. um, just general like social media go ahead and give uh give your info
2: yeah like uh, mine all of ours is like pretty much on Facebook yeah that's like that's literally where our little community is um, but uh, but yeah uh, because we're you know personable people and we're very relational it's like I don't want like if somebody connects with what we say and they want to talk to us about an idea just like literally email me directly it's like even though I'm the director of the organization it's like I love talking to people. So honestly, just email me at adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N, at flintsoup.org, or text me, 810-288-7094.
3: Awesome. And then your Facebook's at Flint Soup, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's Flint Soup. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you guys will have people reaching out, and uh, this was an awesome podcast. I mean, personally, from Austin and I, we'd never really heard the backstory about it. Mm -hmm. And just thinking back from anybody who even doesn't know what Flint Soup is, it's super inspirational just to hear um, each of your unique backstories and kind of how that merged together to create this community building process that's now uh, starting to expand. And I just can't wait to see how far you guys can grow it. And um, Austin, I owe a lot of thanks too, just for how much you've helped us with gas money so far. And um, it's really powerful to see if you helped us that much, uh, how that kind of compounds with all of these different people that Mm -hmm. you're working with. So it's really awesome. Mm -hmm. So thanks for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you guys on. And uh, as we always say at the end of our podcast, go go get get that gas gas money. money.